We came from a different type of church background. The title was probably called Missions Pastor. And so if you're the person who thinks like maybe sometime in your life that God is directing you to move overseas to a group of people who have little to no access to the gospel in order to make disciples and see a church planted, I want to get to know you. Or maybe you're a person who uh, sees a bunch of people around campus, around Northwest Arkansas that are from a different country, and you'd like to learn how to minister to them and reach out to them with the gospel in order to see them come to Christ and to make disciples. I love to get to know you. Matter of fact, we have some of our residents. When you leave here, if you walk out the doors, you're going to see a map and a table. We'd love for you to talk to them uh, about how you can get involved with our international ministry. Or if you're a person who's like, man, I really don't know what this missions thing is all about. And aren't there lost people everywhere? And I really don't know what the big deal is. I would love to get to know you. And I'd love to talk to you. And I'd love to walk through some of the scriptures with you. So if you fall in any one of those categories, please come see me. Come get to know me. Um, By the way, I just want to take a moment Just to brag a little bit, nobody asked me to do this, but I want to brag a little bit on our college team. Um, They are incredible, and the one quality that they have that I just want to lift up is they absolutely love college students. They love y'all so much. This time of year, like, I don't see them in the office at all. They are out there trying to meet as many college students as possible. And I know a lot of y'all have just recently moved here, just come here. It looked like there was a lot of hands that went up. Any Texas people here? I'm from Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Go Bears. Um, Sorry, that was the school I went to. But they love college students, and there's a lot of great churches around here. There's a lot of great ministries. We want you to get plugged in to something that's going to help you grow closer in your walk with God. But before you settle down with whatever church, whatever ministry is going to be, I just really encourage you, get across the table uh, with some of our college staff. Get to know them. They are incredible, incredible people. Hey, Going to start off tonight, I want you to turn to the person to your right, your left, maybe somebody behind you, maybe somebody that you don't know, and I want you to share uh, the answer to this question. Who is the most famous person in the world that you have ever met? All right, the most famous person in the world that you have personally ever met. And hey, we try to be non-political here. So we're not talking about politicians. We're talking about musicians, athletes, actors, TikTok stars, whatever it may be. Man, all right, all right, all right. Dang, this might be the most social crowd that I've ever seen before. Like, before I even got done with the question, everybody was like turning and sharing. Is there anybody like super impressive out there that somebody wants to share? Doesn't have to be your own, could have been somebody else. Yeah. Oh, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. 
Yeah, all right. Somebody's pointing at somebody else over here. Here. Who was it? Obama. Oh, there we go. He's not a politician. Anybody else? Mike Tyson. Oh, that's a good one. Well, hey, a couple years ago, I'm going to show you my story. A couple years ago, we actually took a trip down to Dallas. This church, this congregation right here, we adopted a translation project There's a group of people in Africa, it's estimated about 39 million people speak a language, but they don't have the Bible in their own language. And so this church, Fayetteville, uh, Fellowship Fayetteville has said, hey, we wanna wanna take that on. And and so over a period of about 10 to 15 years, we wanna see that Bible translation happen. So 39 million people living in Africa would be able to read God's word in their native language. So we went down there to kind of tour the place, get to know them. Uh, and on the way back, I'm standing outside the airport, uh, and we're just kind of hanging out there, and I'm, I'm with a group of guys, and I look over, and I see somebody, and I'm like, man, that, that guy looks really familiar. And one of the guys I was with, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's Guy. And I was like, didn't really know who Guy was or anything, but I was like, man, I'm going to go meet him. And so I literally... Like, they're like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, I don't care. Uh, and so I just go and I walk up to him and I go, hey, are you Guy? And he goes, I am Guy. And I go, Guy Ritchie? And he goes, which is some director, by the way, uh, but I didn't know who this guy was. So I was just saying, Guy Ritchie? And he goes, no, I'm not that guy. And I go, oh, so you're not Guy. And he goes, no, I am Guy. I'm just not that guy. And at that moment, I was like totally confused. And I was like, this guy is messing with me. And I'm literally, we're just staring at each other. And I'm like, man, I walked up to somebody who's not famous at all. And now he's just playing with me. And then I just go, hey, dude, can I take your picture? And he's like, sure. And so this is the picture uh, right here. And so, by the way, people have pointed out to me that like his name is actually on his shirt. And, and so at this point, I'm like, dude, this guy is totally messing with me. And he's going, this guy is an idiot. And so we're sitting there and we actually, people always ask, they're like, man, how was he and stuff? I was like, actually, he's the nicest guy ever now that I know who he is. But that was probably one of the most famous people uh, that I've ever met just by random. So I'm gonna have you do another question, which is a little bit different, but I want you to turn to the person next to you or behind you and say, who's the most famous celebrity that you know? And here's the difference, is if you named somebody, if we went up to that person and we said, hey, so-and-so, do you know Josh Bernard? They'd go, oh yeah, totally. So they would have to know you back. So turn and tell somebody the most famous person that you know. (laughs) 
All right, all right, all right. So does anybody, oh, we got, we got a pointer here. We got a pointer. Okay, who is it? Oh, she can't even get it out. No, no, just say it. Happy Lee Miller. Abby Lee Miller. I have no idea who that person is. I'm old. I have no idea. Yeah, we got one way over there. Oh my gosh, that's my niece. Okay, who is it? Oh, Savvy Shields, Miss America, yes. Went to the University of Arkansas. Graduated from Fayetteville High. Okay, one more. Oh, doesn't look like she wants to share. And I, do you want to share? John Daly, the golfer, yes. Okay. So there's a difference, right, between a celebrity that you've met and a celebrity you know. And actually, I'm an old dude. I had no idea who that person is, by the way, uh, that you're talking about. I'm an old guy, but there is, in my whole life, I can say there's one celebrity that I actually know. And I still think, and I haven't talked to him in years, but I still think that if you went up to him and you said, hey, do you know Brian Pope? That he'd be like, oh my gosh, yes. That was one of my friends from high school. Uh, And so I'm going to show you a video. We're going to go major stranger things here um, because it's going back to my prom. It's going to look like a a setting uh, of stranger things. Um, And this person is actually in the limousine that we're driving in, about to leave uh, for prom. It's going to look really weird because I actually have hair uh, during this time. So let's take a look. There I am, right there. Amazing. So, real quick, does anybody know who that is? Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory, yes. So, Jim Parsons, uh, we went to high school together. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, we didn't become friends till my junior year. And I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you why we didn't become friends uh, till my junior year, because my freshman year, my sophomore year, um, I would say that I bullied him. And I didn't bully him physically, but uh, some of the things that I said to him or said about him uh, weren't the best. But then after my uh, sophomore year of high school, uh, I went to a camp. It's called Canacuck. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't say I, I heard the gospel for the first time, but for the very first time, I understood the gospel. And that place radically changed my life. And I came back a different person. And, and one of the things is I began to view people differently. And, and so we became friends. And we actually became pretty close friends. And one of my dearest moments that I actually had uh, or memories with him is it was kind of one of those nights where you know, like, you don't, have, you don't have any plans. And so you get in the car and you try to find something to do. But all you end up doing is just driving around. And so that's what we were doing. Uh, I grew up just north of Houston. And we're just driving around. Uh, and we begin to talk, and we realize somewhere in the conversation that both of us really struggle with OCD, like crippling OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. And it was the very first time in my life that I met somebody that struggles with the same thing. And it was just a very dear memory that I have with him. And, and matter of fact, anytime that I share uh, that with a group this big, there's always somebody uh, in the audience uh, 
who's going through that as well. So please feel free to come meet me afterwards. I feel like God's really rescued me uh, out of that. But it has something that we, uh, that we shared and I know about him. And so the reason that I say that is, and Josh talked a little bit about this last week as well, is that we're going through the book of James. And what he pointed out was James was the half-brother of Jesus. And so as he grew up with Jesus, he saw a completely different perspective than what most people saw. And I think it actually gives a lot of credibility to the gospel story. Because if Jesus was a fraud, the brother could have easily pointed that out. I mean, he grew up and he lived with him. And I got to know this guy before he became famous, before he came to Matter of fact, after he came famous, I haven't talked to him at all since then. But I got to see a side that most people didn't get to see. And people always ask me, they're like, was he as smart as he is on the show? And I'm like, nah, he's smart, but he wasn't that smart. Was he as funny as he is on the show? Yes. He was, and you could see that from very early on. And so James got to see Jesus and got to see the life that he lived before he went, ever went public in his ministry. And what's interesting to point out, though, is even early on in the Gospels, we see in John 7, 5, for not even his brothers were believing in him. So when Jesus began his public ministry, his brothers uh, weren't bought in. And then you see this, it gets even uh, more descriptive. In Mark 3, 20 through 21, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So he's doing this public ministry. All these people are coming to see Jesus and his own family is saying, man, he's out of his mind. Man, this is, a, we had so much promise for this boy. This is the boy who grew up and didn't make any mistakes. But what is he doing now? What is he teaching now? We got to stop him. He's gotten out of his mind. But something changed that caused his own brother to think very differently of him. And what was it? Well, it was the resurrection. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 6 or 7. It says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, which means when Paul was writing that, most of the people were still alive. He's like saying, hey, go talk to them. But some have fallen asleep, so that means they've passed away. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Paul specifically points out his half-brother who ended up becoming a leader of a church. The resurrection radically changed James. You see, the Jewish people, they were looking for a Messiah. A Messiah was going to be the one who rescued them from their enemies. And so during that time period, the enemy that they thought they're going to be rescued from was the Romans. And so they're looking for that guy who's going to rescue us from the Romans. But once Jesus was crucified and put into that grave, they walked away saying, well, I guess he wasn't the one. But when he rose out of that grave, they realized, oh, we've been thinking small. Jesus is not here to save us from the Romans. He's here to save us from sin and death. And that truth and that knowledge can radically change your life. And it radically changed James's life. And so I love the book of James. 
Uh, I think he writes it from a different perspective than we see the other New Testament books. When Paul is writing and he's talking about the word righteousness, most of the time he's talking about our standing, the righteousness that we receive freely from Christ. Do you know that if you place your faith in Christ, that everything that Christ did for you, that is credited towards you. And Paul spends so much time unpacking that truth. But James, when he's talking about righteousness, I think he's talking about what righteous living looks like. And it basically is just saying, man, I grew up with Jesus and this is what I saw him do. And this is how I saw him treat people. And this is how I saw him control this tongue. And this is how I saw him face trials. And even though it's easy to understand, man, the stuff that it calls us to do is almost preposterous. I think about last week, what Josh was talking about. He was talking about consider it all joy when you face various trials. Like seriously, consider it all joy when you face various trials. You see, in the ancient world, when good things happened to you, it meant that the gods had favor on you. And when bad things happened, it meant that they were displeased with you. Or there must be just some sin issue in your life. And Jesus flips that upside down and James unpacks it. And he says, no, consider it joy when you go through trials. That God is with you in those trials. And he's having you grow closer to him in those trials. And he's strengthening you in those trials. When I I look back over this year, this last December, my dad passed away. And then in March, uh, I was driving home one day and I I reached up and I felt a lump in my throat. It ended up being a a two-inch growth uh, in my throat. But honestly, the thing that gave me strength is when my dad was passing away, the place that I went to was scriptures. And the scriptures would tell me, I was like, man, if I really believe in this, my dad's been suffering for a very long time, but my dad's also a believer. And so my dad is truly not going to experience death. Scripture promises that he's going to step from this life into eternal life. And he's going to enter a place in the presence of Jesus where there's going to be no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain. And that's something that I can actually get excited about. And then when I felt this growth in my, my throat, you know, it turned, it out, it turned out to be all right. I got it removed this summer. But you go through a couple of months going, man, what could it be? What if it's a tumor? What if it's cancer? What does that mean? But I was like, man, if I believe the scripture, Romans 8.28 tells me that all things work together for good, for those who love God and call it according to his purposes. So even if it turns out as the worst case scenario, it is for good and can be used for the purposes of God. And I can glorify God through this. That's the type of things that James is telling to us. And we can live that way if we have security in God's word. And James is going to do it to us again with this chapter. It's not hard to understand what he's calling us to do, but to actually do it 
It's almost crazy talk. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. I love what James is doing. There's two things in here that I love what James is doing. The way that he starts it out, he's saying, my brethren, he could say my brothers and sisters. What he's trying to do with this young new church, he's trying to get them to understand the new identity that they have, that they are now a family. If they became a follower of Christ, they are now a family. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just breeze over that word glorious. It's talking about ultimate worth. It is talking about the thing with the most supreme value. Basically, he's saying the highest king. He's saying, people, we have a new identity. We have a new high king. And we are a part of a family, and we are part of his kingdom citizenship. And he's saying, with a new king comes a new way of living. And he goes into an example, and we don't really know, is this a real example, or is just something that they could relate to? But he says this, for a man comes into your assembly. Now, that word assembly could mean a couple of different things. It could mean a church gathering like this, coming together. It could also mean a judicial coming together, uh, which also would have been done at the synagogue. I hold on to the more traditional view that is kind of the church uh, gathering. It says, for if a man comes into your assembly with, with, with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Now, this might be something that we can't really relate to today. I mean, we don't have like reserved seating or anything like that in this place. Matter of fact, it's almost like nobody wants to sit on the front row of a church service. But Gandhi, in his own autobiography, when he was young, do you know that he was reading through the Gospels? And he became very interested in the teachings of Jesus. And he said, man, finally I found a religion with no caste system. And so he went to a church on one Sunday, and when he walked in, the usher saw him and knew he was from a different caste system, and he said, hey, this is not your place of worship. You need to go worship at a different place with your people. And so Gandhi left there and he said to himself, he's like, man, if Christianity has a caste system, why, why would I even convert? I might as well stay a Hindu. And it might be easy for us to think, oh man, well, that was a long time ago in a place far away. But man, just this last semester, we do a lot with international students. And my, my residents, my interns were hosting a dinner and we had about 30 different internationals here, probably just two miles from here, right here. We, we probably had people from uh, 30 different countries, maybe 30 different people there. And four of the guys that were there came from four different countries, a part of the caste system. And we grouped up into small groups and, and I kind of joined their small group and they're talking about the caste system and what it meant in their country. And one of them was from the high caste and two of them were kind of from the middle caste. And they turned to the fourth guy and they said, hey, what caste are you in? 
And he just goes, nah. He goes, we don't, we don't observe that in my country. And a few minutes later, he pulls me into the kitchen. And he says, he goes, Pope. He goes, I gotta tell you something. He goes, my family, we're part of the lowest caste in my country. He goes, but I didn't wanna share that in that group because I didn't wanna be treated differently. And he goes, but this is what I love about y'all's group is you treat everybody the same. And that's the way that I think it should be. You see, he's being drawn in to this family because of love. So let's go on. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Josh touched on this last week. This is not James saying rich people bad, poor people good. But again, he's trying to turn the Eastern mindset upside down. That even if you read through Scripture, if you read through the Old Testament, people thought they were blessed, basically, if you had three things. If you had good health, good wealth, and a good family. And if you didn't have those things, then they thought you were cursed. And so even when you see the story of the blind man, the disciples go, oh man, what sin did he do to become blind? You saw people who couldn't have children. They felt like they were cursed or that they were outcast. But the lowest one of that is the poor. They thought, man, God was not with them. And Jesus comes along and says, nah, that's not true. Matter of fact, they have a different type of richness. And he says, he says, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? I love the story that Josh told last week about being in Haiti and coming up to a, basically a tarp on some sticks. And a guy was there. His, his wife had just recently passed away holding a newborn child. As he talked to Josh, he was a believer. And he says, oh, when he found out that Josh came from an American church, he says, I pray for the American church all the time. I don't know how people can be dependent on God with so much wealth. We used to take college students to Belize every year. We went kind of way out in the jungle and we worked with these Kachi Indians just way out. Lived in kind of the, the grass huts, dirt floors. And, and I remember being there, we, we spent years kind of building them a physical church. And I was out there one day with a shovel, just digging a hole with the pastor's son. And I just asked him the question, I go, man, is it, it's ever strike you as crazy that this random church in Arkansas Thousands of miles away would team up with this random church way out here in Odishaw, Belize, out in the jungle. We'd come together and partner together. Does that, does that ever blow your mind? And he just looks at me and goes, nah. He goes, we prayed this would happen. And I was like, oh my gosh, what faith. I remember asking the same guy, I was like, hey, what do you do when somebody... Uh, is sick around here. You don't have any hospitals. You don't have any doctors. What do you do? And he goes, well, he goes, we, we call the church together and we ask the people to fast and they begin a period of fasting. And then we call the church together again and we begin to pray. And he just stopped. And I was like, well, do they get well? And he looked at me like, uh, yeah, I told you we prayed for them. And, and I'm not saying that God answers every prayer and I'm not 
throwing out some prosperity gospel. What I'm saying is, is that when you're dependent completely on God, it does something to your faith. And I think God moves in those areas. And that's what James is saying here. If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law, the law of our king, is how it could also be translated. You see, what James is doing here, he's, he's raising the bar on us. He's not just saying, hey, when you come together, that the point of this passage is saying, hey, I want you to be nice to everybody. I want you to welcome everybody. I want you to treat everybody the same. He raises the bar on us. And he says, if, however, you're fulfilling the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Man, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, in the gospels, when this was being taught one time, a lawyer was talking to Jesus and he threw out the question. And he says, yeah, but who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. And he chose a character out of their culture that they would have hated, that they would have despised. Both ethnically and politically and socially. And Jesus made him the, story, the hero of the story. Can I tell you a story when I almost completely flopped with this? Um, I told you we, we do a lot with international students and um, we kind of have these different principles guiding our ministry, but the golden principle that we have that we kind of lay over all those is this, is that international students will not be projects. They will be your friends. That's how we want to treat them. They will become real friends of ours and they'll be, become a part of our community. They're not just projects that we're working with. And so that's, that's kind of what we base our ministry off of. And one year, one of the guys that I was discipling, not an international student, American invited me to come to his uh, grandfather's cabin. It's one of my favorite places in the world to go to. It's about an hour and a half from here. It's a cabin right in the middle of 600 acres that just kind of completely surrounds it. We go out there, we ride four-wheelers, shoot guns, uh, jump in the creek, do all these things. Like, I just love it. It is a life-giving place for me. And I remember uh, during that season, I was, just, I was just tired. I was kind of worn out from doing ministry. And so when he asked me to go, uh, he just says, yeah, there's a group of uh, college students that are going. All of them are believers. I was just like, yes, I'm in completely. And right then, I felt the Spirit saying, hey, you need to invite Arash. And Arash is one of our international students from Iran, and I started wrestling with God and I started saying, God, no, man, I'm tired, I'm worn out. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to do ministry. I kind of want to take a break from doing ministry. And I felt the spirit going, oh, sounds like he's more of a project than he is a friend. And I was like, oh man, God, you're so right. And so I invited Arash and uh, took them with me and uh, we went there and this group of believers, man, they just loved them and just joined in uh, with what we were doing and just had a great time that weekend. But I'll never forget, it's about an hour and a half away, we're driving home and Arash looks at me as we're driving and he goes, Pope, I got a question to ask you. And I was like, go for it. And he goes, well, man, I've studied 
different major religions of the world. I've studied Judaism and only about 10% of it makes sense to me because the rest of it just doesn't make any sense. So I don't believe in that. And he goes, obviously, I'm Muslim, so I know a lot about Islam. And I agree with about 70% of it, but 30% of it I just can't grasp. However, I've been studying about Christianity, and about 90% of it I totally get, and it totally makes sense of it. He goes, but there's 10% I don't understand. And I was like, what is it? And he goes, well, in Islam, we only worship one God. How can you worship three? And I looked at him and I said, Arash, have you ever heard of Aquafresh toothpaste? <laughs> By the way, this might be the dumbest illustration of the Trinity ever. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. But this is how I described it to him. He was like, what? And I go, you know, the toothpaste has three different colors. I go, this is what I heard when I was a kid, and it stuck with me, and every other illustration of the Trinity doesn't measure up. I go, Aquafresh toothpaste. It's one toothpaste, but it does three things. It gives you healthy gums, strong teeth, fresh breath. I go, but you still consider it one toothpaste. I go, that's what Christians believe, is that we worship one God, but it has three different personalities, three different functions, however you want to describe it. They kind of do three different things. And he goes, he literally does this. He goes, got it. And then I tried to explain it more. And he goes, got it. And then I tried to explain it more. And he's like, Pope, I got it. We, we learned a few weeks later that he came to Christ. And let me tell you something, though. Here's the deal is uh, we still walked with him, still friends with him, very close friends. We, he was part of our discipleship group for years. But when, I, when he shares his testimony. I've never heard him talk about Aquafresh toothpaste. It wasn't like, man, I was just totally confused, but man, he threw out the Aquafresh card and I was, I'm in. It's not what happened. Every time he shares his testimony, he says, there's a group of believers that invited me in and became friends with me. And over a long period of time, they just walked with me. And sometimes we just get together and we just talk life. And other times we get together and we talk spiritual things. And other times we get together and just laugh. But that's what led him to Christ. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to walk out on some thin ice. And by the way, I have two kids that go to the University of Arkansas. One of them's in a sorority. One of them's in a fraternity. So this is not like an anti-fraternity, anti-sorority pitch. But I was thinking about it as I prepared for this talk with my daughter, she's a senior now, but when she was a freshman, she had to make at least 40 of these folders to give out to people to write recommendations for her in order for her to get into the sorority that she wanted. And basically what it is, it's just something that you put together that says, man, this is what I bring to the table. Here it is. Choose me. 
Some of you are about to graduate and you're going to go apply for jobs. You're going to be doing the same thing. You're going to be putting together a resume and you're going to be coming to get a job and you're going to be doing the same thing. You're like, hey, this is what I bring to the table. Choose me. And that's how the world works. And what Jesus does, he says, nah, nah. My invitation to the table goes out to everyone. And it's not just an invitation to the table. He says, everybody at the table is loved the same. And then he asks us as kingdom citizens to go out and love the same way. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for the people in this room. Dear God, I just love hearing them come together and worship you. And God, I pray that we are a family of brothers and sisters who have a glorious king, dear God. That we love everybody with a sacrificial love, dear God. That we love the campus with a sacrificial love. They got people who don't look like us, people who don't dress like us, people who don't speak the same language as us, no matter who they are. That we would love them all the same and they would see you in that love. Amen.